This is Ethnic Stew, a new podcast on race and ethnic relations from the standpoint of parents and grandparents of biracial children. Here are your hosts, John Glavin, J.P. Kendall, and Jill Kendrick. Thanks so much for listening today. We're going to wrap up our talk with Nathan, a sergeant with the Michigan State Police, discussing the challenges involved with law enforcement and their communities. And please don't think we're going to leave that subject and move on. I think we can all agree that the relationship between law enforcement and their communities is complex and ongoing, so we'll be looking for more input from law enforcement and community leaders. Then we'll be visiting with an earlier guest, Amy, an Iranian immigrant who, with her family, are now in Connecticut. She was the subject of one of our earlier podcasts, but we welcome her back uh, for her take on the current unrest in Iran concerning protests that began with the Iranian morality police arresting a young woman for allegedly wearing her head covering improperly. Three days later, the woman, Masha Amini, was dead. So let's get to it. Here's a wrap-up of our discussion with Nathan, a sergeant with the Michigan State Police. For reference, in this segment, he mentions his son, Emmett, and daughter, Lainey. Let me ask you one last question. What do you see law enforcement's biggest challenge going forward i think recruiting of quality police officers is going to be the challenge because there is such a negative view on policing that and you know there's a lot of other issues that go along with it right the pay the hours there's a lot of things that factor into that but i knew this question was going to come up so i was today i was actually kind of like thinking like you know how am i going to answer that because i knew what i was going to answer but, and uh, JP hit on it a little bit earlier about how, like, uh, you know, kids are stuck on their phones, right? And I don't, I'm not saying I was the last generation, but I was kind of like towards the generation that freaking grew up playing cops and robbers, right? We grew up outside playing cops and robbers, chasing each other on our bikes. One guy was the robber, the other guy's the cop playing tag. All that stuff is kind of based on that, right? So I don't know if, you know, I'm not saying that's the only issue, but, you know, as a society, we have changed to where policing isn't what kids grow up to say, you know, all kids at some point in their childhood wanted to be a police officer, every single one, right? We don't see that really anymore. And I think for most, most police officers, the way it is, they're not going to encourage their children to become police officers. There's nothing sexy about being a police officer anymore. So how in the heck are we going to recruit people to become police officers. And on top of that, how are we going to recruit the right people? Because there's always somebody willing to do the job, right? But we need to get the right people. The way things are right now, um, you know, Emmett, I mean, he's he wants to take over the construction company. But, you know, I don't know if that's right for him. But as if, if you know, we've talked and if that's not what he does, he wants to go into the DNR. And I think that'd be good for him. Laney? You know, we've talked to her many times about being a trooper because it is a very good time right now. You know, we're trying to recruit women heavily within the state police. She could walk in there and she could be very successful, but I don't think she wants to do it. And I'm okay with that. But that's the challenge is going to be recruiting people because we're going to be in a situation, you know, they always say, oh, you know, the crime's going up because there's a lack of police officers. 
I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think crime poverty is affects crime more than a police officer out there. That's the challenge as a country that we need to address is poverty and even let's just call what it self-inflicted poverty, right? People that refuse to work because the government's willing to give them money. That's an issue too. But poverty is, in my opinion, a, a bigger driver of crime versus how many police are out there. But we also need people to respond to, you know, emergencies, car crashes. It's not all about crime. So there's going to be a shortage of police officers in this country. I don't know the answer to it. I remember when we were having dinner one time and you talked about how in interviewing for candidates and how so many of them just couldn't deal with looking you in the eye. And, and you said like when you would ask them a question, they would take it as an attack on themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember that conversation and I've talked to guys that, that do the hiring interviews and they said, kids, I say kids, you know, young bucks that are better off asking them via text message for an answer to the question versus the communication skills aren't there. And we see that as sergeants when it comes to writing. The quality of grammar is not there like it used to be. But then I always try to self-reflect and say, okay, are you just becoming that old asshole that everybody that's younger than you is dumber? But, yeah, you were an asshole when you were younger, too, though. Right, right. But I knew the difference between two, two, and two. <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about. But it's different. It's just, it's a whole different freaking world. Now on to our friend Amy, who, with her family, immigrated from Iran. She's featured in an earlier podcast where she shared her family's journey from Iran to Tennessee, then to Kansas, and ultimately settling in Connecticut. Back on September 13th in Tehran, Masa Amini was arrested by the Iranian mortality police. She was 22 and allegedly broke the country's strict Islamic dress code law, namely wearing her head covering too loosely. Following her arrest, she was reportedly beaten and moved to a detention center. And three days later, she died as a result of her torture injuries. Local authorities claimed she died of a heart attack, which her family disputed. Protests quickly spread across Iran, including police stations and vehicles being torched. On September 30th, a shootout with a police station in Zehadan claimed 19 lives, although Amnesty International reported the death toll at 66, including children. On October 3rd, Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei blamed Israel and the United States for the unrest. Protests continued throughout the country, and as the World Cup games began in Qatar, members of the Iranian men's soccer team stood in silence as their national anthem played. Some fans were seen holding signs that read women, life, and freedom. If you search YouTube, you'll also find a poignant video of a post-match scene in which opponents from the United States and Iran embrace some of the Iranian players sobbing. On December 4th, Iran announced the government had allegedly abolished the morality police. There's been no confirmation that the police have actually been disbanded, but by that time, over 460 Iranians have been killed since demonstrations began, and over 18,000 have been arrested. 
And then in early December, the first Iranian protester was convicted and hung for allegedly injuring a paramilitary officer during a protest. When we spoke to Amy in November, she was angry but hopeful. You know, I think that the population has split in half. Maybe the bigger half is the one that is against the regulations. Uh, But I have seen people around me that they support the regime. My family are angry, but they, none of them as long as I, as far as I know, uh, have done any action. They have not gone to the streets. They did not participate in any of the protests or anything, um, but they're very angry. I can see that. Even my, even my 94-year-old grandfather, he's very angry. I see things where people are like Zoom and doctors here in the States because they're afraid they can go to the hospital. And yes. you know, people have buckshots in them and bad, you know, they've been badly battered and they're, and they're afraid they can go to the hospital because the morality police are standing around watching you showing up. And it's like, aha, we got you now, you know. I understand that the Revolutionary Guard has stepped in and said that protest needs to uh, go away or they're going to take matters into their own hands. Yes. And, you know, we hear the same as you do. We hear all kind of news about what's happening. And you don't, since there is no reliable source in Iran, you don't know what's right and what's wrong. That's part of the problem that I say the population is split in half. I don't trust the media that is located in Iran. And others don't trust the media that are out of the country that are trying to reflect the news. I, I called John or I texted him shortly after this happened. And one of the things I said was the amount of courage and bravery it takes, and I'm going to cry because I'm an emotional person, because the amount of bravery it takes for those women in your country with the oppression that has been there from the beginning of time. You have no idea. Is, I, as a person so that lived in that, that country, yes. I know what kind of pressure you are under. It's not just from government. It's not just the fear you have from the police. Even you're facing your own traditional families. You know, it's a different level. When I saw what was going on and I saw the women angry and protesting and, you know, taking off their their clothing and their headgear and they're cutting their hair and, and protest of what had happened, I just kept thinking, would I be that brave? I'm, I'm that mad because I'm mad about stuff that's going on in the United States, but would mm-hmm. I be in that, in that situation knowing that they could face death, to just be shot down where they're standing doing it? And the fact that they banded together and stayed together yeah. you know, in the protest and that people were joining the protest. I think I saw a woman who was maybe a university professor speaking out and she was like, it's time as women, we are, we are beyond fed up yes. and we're willing to take these risks and put our lives on the line for what we think is right. And I just want to say, I told John when I text, I'm just amazed and I am so impressed with the bravery yes. and courage that those women are showing me too. I was I was talking to my husband about it. Now it's the time that I'm going to go out in here and be proud to say that I am an Iranian woman. Now the picture that the world has from us is different. I'm not recognized as Islamic regime 
representative. I'm the representative of Iranian women, those brave women. Oh, that's amazing. I, you say that you can cry. I've been crying all this time, these 40 years. I'm saying, everybody. I asked John, I said, have you talked to her? Because I'm I'm concerned for how you felt. Because And I, I told someone I was going to do this. Um, the, I had dinner with friends tonight. And I said I had to get home by 7 because we were recording a podcast. And I told them it was with you. And they had watched the previous one. So they knew about it, you know, mm -hmm. they listened to it. So they knew about it. And I said, but I have to get there because I, I want to talk to her. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's kind. Thank and I just so want to know, what she, but I need her, I need her to know that I have been with you in spirit and those women in spirit. I don't know what I can say other than, and I said, and she's the only person I believe that I have met that is from Iran. And so oh, okay. I see it differently because I see you. And I think that people in Iran need to learn to see the women, hear yes. the women. And it's time to not be oppressed. Just having and, that face you know, in, you know, yeah. just having that picture in mind. Right. You say in English, put that face to the name. You know, yeah. the, just the image that they have is different. And to, get rid, and to get rid of all the cover that you can't see and you can't see who you are and be who mm -hmm. you are and live and be proud in who you are. And where you came That's from, true. you wouldn't be who you were if you didn't come through that. But at some point, change has to happen. Yes. And it may not be, it may not be the end all this time. Maybe it will be. Maybe things are changing. It feels like some women in power, or maybe not in power, but in places where they can speak, have said, look, this should have happened a long time ago, and they're speaking out. Maybe mm -hmm. that's just what it needed for well, the regime, the government, to get the clue that women aren't going to be quiet anymore. Kind of in the United States, we're doing the same thing. We're not going to be quiet anymore. Part of the, the 79 revolution was supported by women who wanted their rights and who really believed that, that they, they were going to benefit. That's as ironic as it is. Yeah. What I was really pleased to, I seen a lot of men out there throwing rocks and, and that in itself is a huge difference because a lot of times, a lot of that, the, your oppression comes from men and to see men back you and from the country with your culture and everything helping you guys strike out i think man that that's awesome too it shows how strongly the change needs to be made exactly how yeah how deep the roots are how deep the roots of this movement are yeah having men support women that was a beautiful thing to watch too now do you think that the combination of the the crackdown due to covid and inflation and the economic mess because of the embargoes have just exacerbated all of this i think so yeah i was thinking about it just before we begin to talk that the economical situation in iran i talked to my brother about it and he said you know the young population of iran they think like they have nothing to lose Okay, they don't see any future because of the economy. So they, that's that's part of the reason they have no fear of being in the streets and being beaten and being arrested because they, they don't see any future for themselves as the things are. I had read some tweets by the uh, founding director of the Iranian Studies Program at Stanford. He wrote this. He said, the Islamic regime in its constitution, this just blew me away bars women from any of the high offices in the country based on the iteration of uh, islamic sharia it considers the life of women literally worth half the life of men men have the right to polygamy women can file for divorce only under rare circumstances 
then after divorce, women receive virtually nothing by way of community property, and women virtually never get custody of their children. Girls get half their share of inheritance compared to that of their brothers. Women cannot receive a passport without the written approval of their fathers, husbands, or grandfathers, or uncles. No surgery can be performed on women without the approval of their male guardian. And many academic disciplines are closed to women. So from birth, you've got both hands tied behind your back. That is really disheartening to hear because you know without women, there would be no future population. Yeah. Well, (laughs) why would you be afraid of somebody that you think is lesser? I mean, if they're that stupid or unable, you know, why, why would you try to suppress them? And why wouldn't you be proud when they did more than what you thought they were capable of? Let them get out of the way and let them soar. Has education become any freer since 79? Because, you, you know, you have a degree in architecture. Yes. Education, I can say this for sure, that most of the students in colleges are, are females. Uh, I, the number is about 60% oh. of the students. Wow. Yes. And this is, you know, this is, I think, this is what is causing all these protests and all these movements. You know, the higher education empowered the, the time that they were, I think the reason they decided to expand the universities and higher level educations was that because nobody had jobs for because of the economical situation. So they thought the easier way would be to keep the population busy with education. They didn't think that this higher education is going to empower this generation. This educated generation is not going to listen to those yeah, you know, Renaissance, I don't know, these, those laws that I, I'm ashamed of. What effect has this had on your daughter, Ava? Uh, the funny thing is, is that she has all these questions about what's happening. The time that we went to Iran over the summer, we spent six weeks there. And she kept questioning. There were no protests or movements when we went. It, it all began two weeks after we came back. And the whole time that we spent in Iran, she was questioning, but she was so angry about the difference between men and women in Iran. And she was questioning everybody, all my cousins <laughs> and her grandparents, everybody about why it should be like that. Why should women cover their hair? Why is every place that we go, it has a men part and a women part? You know, everybody, every place is separated. And my friends say that's a joke because the government over the media, they say that the roots of these movements are outside of the country, especially in United States or Israel. Okay, And my friends say as a joke that your your daughter, as an American girl, she started all these. But isn't, but isn't it amazing that as a second grader and being, being here, she sees it as an injustice or a mm-hmm. wrong that mm-hmm. the women there have to behave and look and act and in a certain way. Be a yeah. Certain way. She kept saying, this is not fair. She kept saying, this is not fair. And one, she, one day she got so angry about it and she was crying and punching my brother that you as men should do something about this. <laughs> I think I love her. I think I love her even more today. 
And I think you're brave for doing this. I, the world needs to know. I'm not. The brave ones are those that are in the streets in Iran. Well, I hope, you know, nothing but good comes out of this. I know there's going to be a lot of tears and bloodshed, and, you know, but hopefully on the other end, hopefully on the other end, this will be all worth it. It will. You know, it will be worth it. Yeah, because even if they quell it for a little while, now that they know it's there, they're going to they're gonna have to rethink a lot of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, once you get their eyes open, hopefully they can see. Well, they realize that these women have opinions, that they're smart, and that they're willing to fight and potentially lose their lives for what they believe. Yes. And then, Amy, I have a question. Do you think, as we've been sitting here talking, I'm wondering if you think that the Internet and, like, FaceTiming and all this has had any role in it because not necessarily in the exact struggle but the fact that women feel more empowered because you're not locked into just seeing what's in your community and only the news from your community exactly you're seeing things from different if you want if you are able you can see it from different countries news programs and different things that's true different perspectives so you think that maybe some of these women are realizing we don't we don't have to live this life. They can see other possibilities. That's true. That's why they're limiting the internet right now in Iran. It's been, my family have not, and I know it's true for most of the people in Iran, they did not have access to internet for the last 40 days, at least not easily. Now, I've read, wow. I've read that the, the people in the, you know, bigger towns, some of them have VPNs, so they uh, are Everybody able, does. Everybody Everybody does. has. Without a VPN, you cannot connect to internet at all. My mom uses different VPNs to be able to talk to me like five minutes a day. Well, people get tastes of freedom and, you know, you just... Mm-hmm. In their own yes. ways. Do, have you talked to any other Iranian friends in who are... Uh, Who's been out there. Expatriates who are thinking of going back to, you know, join in the protests? Uh, who are in the United States right now and thinking about going back. No, no. <laughs> People that are here, I haven't talked to anybody. And you wouldn't be pr- probably be able to leave the country after that. Your passport is going to get, they're going to get your passport confiscated. Yeah. Well, so many revolutions start like this. You don't have to have 51% of the population on your side. You have to have passionate people and then have other people who are fence sitters decide, um, you know, I'll save my ass and go with these people instead of these people. It, this, uh, this is going to be really an interesting next six months. I, uh, Iran is such a pariah now uh, um, internationally, and now they're selling uh, weapons to uh, Russia, and so they're, they're doubling down on their uh, international stupidity. What's your gut tell you? What's going to happen? You know, everybody keeps saying that nothing is going to happen. But I, I think that this time is different. I believe so. This time is different because it's in different levels of the population. I see my teenage cousins being engaged in this process, as is my grandmother. You know, And I think this is the difference this time. This is going to cause change. I can see the change right now among our friends here, the Iranian friends that we have here. There are some that support the regime. I cannot understand the specific one that I'm talking about. He was raised in a family that his father was in uh, the revolutionary 
regard. And I say you are this you are in the circle of the power. That's why you're talking, you're taking their side. Amy, does your loyalist friend does he try to hide behind religion? Yes. You know, I honestly I understand him. This is to his okay. benefits. The existence of this regime benefits him and his family. That's the reason she, he's supporting them. And he's, uh, and don't take me wrong, he's a very bright man. You know, he's not yeah, irrational or anything. And we are discussing about it. We are fighting about it all the time, every time we see each other. And last week he was talking about um, the situation that it used to be in Iran for last few years that nobody is wearing that hijab as tight as they as they wanted them to do. And he was saying oh, it was not like you're under too much pressure. People were wearing whatever they wanted to. And I told him this is not about whether if I want to wear this or if I can wear this or not. This is about government wanting to use my body as a way to express his power. I don't want that. I may decide, even if I'm allowed to wear whatever I want, I may decide, my mom, I know for sure, she would she will decide to put a headscarf on. But it's different from choosing to wear that or being obliged to do that. The majority of people in Iran used to be, they are not like this right now, but they used to be like previous generations, they used to be to have this respect for religion they the whole i think the whole government is behind that shield of religion yeah this is how they rule the country well and the clerics seem to be just as power hungry as as anybody else even more yeah when it comes to power yes i myself don't understand the concept behind a religious government what does that even mean how are you supposed to rule a country, 80 million, over 80 million of people with one ideology. How do you expect 80 million people to think the way that you do and act the way that you do? How is that possible? I don't get the idea. Yeah, and because they know themselves as the representatives of God, they, you know, they consider themselves to be sacred. And if you, if in, you're against them, you would make the situation somehow that you are against God right now. That's the problem. Well, that's what, that's what you get for hanging around with Americans and Jews. <laughs> This has been Ethnic Stew, a new podcast on race and ethnic relations from the standpoint of parents and grandparents of biracial children. Like Ethnic Stew on Facebook. Check out our YouTube channel. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter on ethnicstew.com. <laughs>